Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Once upon a midnight dreary, it's this stupid radio show that made me weary. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a special Halloween holiday edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, and sometimes scary, but always entertaining pipe-smoking radio show dedicated to all of us around the world who enjoy our pipes. And a happy Halloween to you all. I hope everybody's had a good night. I know there was a lot of kids in our neighborhood, a lot of kids in our neighborhood, but Anyway, on tonight's show, uh, in Pipe Parts, going to do a quick quick take on uh, the different different types of Latakia-based tobaccos. I don't want to call them all English, because I'll explain that in a little bit. My guest tonight is absolutely perfect for Halloween. Couldn't be any better. Pipe maker, artist, Trevor Talbert. Going to talk to him about his uh, famed Halloween pipes and... Couldn't be a couldn't have a perfect a more perfect person on for tonight's show. Uh, mailbag music specifically for Halloween rant at the end. All that coming up in this special Halloween edition of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. And don't forget tomorrow morning I am heading out to Vegas. So hope to see a lot of you there at the West Coast Pipe Show at the Palace Station. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun weekend. I'm really looking forward to this show each year. Uh, just a little update around the house. Last weekend, the Cox Mill High School marching band took grand champions for the competition that we were in. Daughter was thrilled. Band was thrilled. It was really good to see the kids uh, come out on top and enjoy that. If you are interested in marching bands or interested in seeing a really good show, uh, go on to YouTube and look up the Ohio State University's marching band and see some of the shows they have been putting on. Incredible shows. And if you've got some free time and want to hear almost three hours of me, Stories of the Magic, the podcast, the third and final episode with me on it is up. You can hear all about me and my time at uh, Disneyland and how I feel about Disney World and Disneyland and all that. Anyway, it fill up a it'll fill up a big chunk of time for you. All right, everybody. Let's get the show going. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company and here we go. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection. 
collection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there? Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. We are back, and I, I just want to—I want to apologize up in front. I didn't have my normal hour, hour and twenty minutes of prep time, so I feel a little rushed, feel a little out of place than I would on a normal show. But uh, still had fun handing out candy and uh, scaring kids. But anyway, pipe parts—the term English tobacco. When we say English, we automatically call it a Latakia-based, uh, a blend that's got Latakia in it. So, me not being the Latakia expert, because I only smoke one blend that's got maybe a little bit of Latakia in it, and that's about all I can handle, I did a little bit of research over the week, and there's a couple of styles within an English term or a Latakia term. English, Scottish, and Balkan are three different styles of pipe tobaccos, and they all contain Latakia in them. So I wanted to dig a little bit further because my original thoughts on a Scottish tobacco was probably wrong. But let's break it down. So an English blend is a primarily Virginia blend that is got some Latakia in it and uses Orientals as a spice. Uh, I want to. I just want to say that probably Dunhill's 965 is probably the classic version of an English tobacco. Now, the other term that you hear people talk toss around and talk about is Balkan style. Originally, my thought was that, you know, a Balkan style just means that it's got a whole lot more Latakia in it. And, um, hey, guess what? I was kind of right. Uh, a Balkan blend is going to be where the Virginias are used as a back note, and they, they might be, you know, 20%, 25%, whatever it is. It's not the, pro- the predominant leaf in it. The predominant leaf that you're going to find in a Balkan style is going to be Latakia and the Oriental tobaccos. When we're talking about Orientals, we're talking about the, the classic Greek and Turkish ones like, uh, like Xanthi and Drama and Yaniji. All of those blend, all of those Orientals add to the spice of it, and of course, Latakia itself is an Oriental tobacco grown in the same regions in Syria and Cyprus, grown in the same style. It's a small Oriental leaf. It just happens to be fire cured or cured over a flame that blackens it and gives it that smoky flavor to it, which. Kind of drives me nuts, I guess. But where it uh, where things changed for me was Scottish blend, and I'll be interested to see what everybody else thinks. My original thoughts of a Scottish blend was that it was a Virginia Latakia blend that had some sort of a top note to it. Now, maybe the name Scottish made me think it was Scotch, which put Scotch on my brain, which would be strange for me because I'm a bourbon drinker, 
But I thought there was some sort of flavoring to it when, in fact, it's unflavored. It's just a Virginia with Latakia. No Orientals added to it for the extra spiciness or the extra flavors. It's purely a Virginia and Latakia. Now, I'm sitting here thinking from my background that blending just a Virginia and Latakia has got to be kind of difficult because you've got to make sure that you've got both really good Virginias and really good Latakia for just those two to stand alone. One of the reasons Orientals are used is because of their natural sweetness or natural aromatic properties to them. So if you can find a Scottish blend, it's going to be a very special blend because they're not using anything to uh, help enhance the flavor like an Oriental. Uh, when you're looking for a classic Balkan style, of course, if you can find Balkan Sobrani and you want to take out a mortgage for it, you know, get yourself an old can, but the Sobrani's back now should be pretty close to that. That's going to be a Balkan style, again, heavier in Latakia, more of a Virginia Oriental back note. If you want to see a really good, I mean, a really thorough selection of different variations of blends with Latakia, my friend Greg Pease knows more about Latakia than I think Latakia knows about it and has come up with an array of blends that are all really different. I wish I could smoke some of them and really pick up all the different flavors from them. Uh, also, McClellan, here in the United States has a good assortment of tobaccos that kind of fall throughout these lines. So there's some, uh, there's some stuff to play around with. All right, there's a little bit, of, uh, little bit of clarification for you on English, Scottish, Balkan. Let's, get, uh, let's take a break right here, and we'll get Trevor Talbert on the phone in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented perfect match system. Try it at SutlifeTobacco.com. Go to SutlifeTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. It is my distinct pleasure on this uh, wonderful holiday, and I want to thank you in advance for stepping away from your uh, celebratory activities for Halloween, but to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, pipe maker, artist, and one of the scariest people I've ever met, Trevor Talbert. Trevor, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Have you scared any kids tonight? Not yet. It's terrible because our neighborhood is very dead. Uh, it's my biggest and saddest discovery upon returning here from France was that the area that we're living in right now is largely retirees and empty nesters. And generally we have maybe three or four kids all night long, which is 
just terribly sad. I have to go out to find my victims. Next year, come down here to my neighborhood. I think we had about 120 kids. Oh, my God. You're so lucky. Yeah, That would no, be great. Oh, I scared a bunch of them, but no candy for me left over. <laughs> feel bad for the last kids. They got raisins. Anyway, uh, so, where'd you grow up? Welcome, North Carolina. And yes, it really is named that. It's just about 100, well, 70 miles up the road from the Pipes Magazine radio show studio. Huh, okay. I know exactly where um, you are. Yeah, little tiny town. At the time, we had one blinking caution light. It was pretty much Mayberry. And a Waffle House. Nah, no Waffle House. Oh. We weren't that sophisticated. We had a quick check, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, when did you get into, when did you get started smoking a pipe? I guess around 1990, uh, maybe late in 89, somewhere around that area. Um, I had friends that had been into pipes forever, and I finally got curious enough to try and was out. Passing by a pipe shop one day, went in and thought, okay, right, give me a pipe and a, a bag of tobacco, and I'll see what this is like. And it's been <clears throat> expensive ever since. <laughs> Do you remember that first, what that first pipe and tobacco were? Uh, the first tobacco was one of those standard uh, Lane Limited shop blends. I don't know, probably 1Q, actually. Um, and the first pipe was a basket pipe. And it was a very odd basket pipe because the guy had a, a literally a basket full of cheap cheap starter pipes, and the one that I picked up was a smooth flame grain bulldog that was absolutely flawless. And I have never seen a basket pipe in the rest of my life that is as nice as the first one I picked <laughs> up. Do you still have that bulldog? Oh yeah, yeah, it's up here on my shelf right now. And it still gets smoked occasionally. Every once in a while. It is not the greatest smoker, but it is, uh, I'm probably biased by this point, of course, but uh, it's a nice smoking pipe, it's, and it's amazingly gorgeous, and I'm certainly going to keep it forever. How long after that did you start making pipes? Uh, it was a few years. Um, I'm very, very bad about tinkering with stuff. I've got to fiddle with everything, and it wasn't long after I started smoking pipes that I started fiddling with them and uh, opening up air holes and things like that, doing little tweaks here and there, and then started refinishing pipes just for the hell of it, basically. Um, I didn't really know any better. And at the time, I was doing a lot of illustration work and artwork in my commercial artwork in my spare time because I was working a full-time job. And then coming home and working full-time evenings and weekends doing doing illustration work. And I decided that I needed something to do to relax from all of this, and so I thought I would try carving a pipe. And that's how I got started. Did you buy one of those pipe, one of the pre-drilled kits, or did you buy a block? I got a pre-drilled kit. Uh, we were down at the beach. There's a beach house that we rent sometimes, and we were down there with some friends, went by the, the local tobacconist, got a pipe kit, and I bought a Dremel and spent my week's vacation sitting on the pier carving my first pipe with a Dremel only. 
That would take an entire week. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know any better. I was slowly sanding my way from a block of wood down to sort of a an odd billiard kind of shape with nothing but Dremel sanding drums. And this, this is all pre-internet and pipe makers forums and chat rooms like that, right? Partially. Uh, at the time, I was involved in the the pipes forum on America Online. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been on. I had accounts on AOL and CompuServe at the time, and I had gone on AOL looking to see if there was anything there, and I couldn't find anything. So I created a board called Pipes and Cigars, and promptly got buried it was like opening the floodgates uh it was <laughs> i set the board up one day and by the next weekend there were a couple hundred people all posting there um mostly cigars obviously that was one of those classic <laughs> classic military wonders if you put everybody in the same pot you're going to have 900 cigar people and three pipe people um but it got off to a, a lively start, and that was what I was doing my pipe socializing in at the time. How'd you how'd you learn about what to do to pipes and which way to start going with them and start drilling? I got really, really damn lucky. Um, <laughs> I made well, yeah, seriously. I mean, it was a, a fluke and a half. I made, I think, three pipes. Uh, from kits that I bought from local pipe shops. And I was carving shapes that I liked and enjoying it, but I wanted to do more sophisticated work. And I posted something about this on this America Online Pipe Forum. And someone said, I need to hook you up with this pipe maker named Paul Perry. And as it turns out, Paul was a lifetime career American master pipe maker. He had been working in the pipe industry since the 1920s and was retired. Uh, I sent him, the fellow on AOL sent me his his mailing address, and I wrote him a letter saying, Hi, hello, mister. I'm a random nobody from somewhere in the country, and here are some really shitty Polaroids of the pipes that I've made so far. (laughs) Is there anything that you could give me for advice? And that was learning to make pipes at the time uh there was no pipe makers forum or videos on youtube of how to do this and how to do that and everything it was a total mystery um and there was no way to go and look anything up it was just talking to this one fellow and paul thankfully was an incredibly nice guy uh he said that he liked the pipe pictures that i had sent him and that he thought they were at least promising enough to write back to me. And we started corresponding, and that was how I learned the basics of how to make a pipe. What year was that? I have no idea. Um, it's been that long. I would long. say mid-90s. Well, it was around 95, I guess, wildly. Um, somewhere between 94 and 96, and I generally try and give a different answer in every interview just to mess with collectors. <laughs> we want to thank you on that and that ends this interview uh, I'm just kidding <laughs> when did you uh, when did you really start producing Talbert pipes uh, after I won the PNT contest I guess um, 
I had been making pipes for friends for Christmas presents for a few years, and when the first PNT carving contest happened, everybody said, you have to enter this, and I basically figured it was a throwaway thing, but I made a pipe for the entry and sent it in and ended up winning the thing to my complete surprise and was inundated after that um, with people writing to me and calling me with orders, wanting to commission pipes and wanting to know where I sold my pipes and wanting to know where they could buy them and on and on. And at the time, it was just me with a two-by-four on a pair of, of uh, supports in the corner of my garage with a bench grinder motor on it and a Dremel, and that was my workshop. Oh. And that was when I started selling pipes. Now let's fast forward to one of the time frames that I'm really interested in because you moved to France, and I want you to tell everybody why you moved to France. Total insanity. <laughs> completely I wanted to see how crazy I could actually go and still be able to do things like walk around and read and write and talk uh, that's my my fast answer for it my longer answer is I thought it would be fun um, but not just fun I thought it would be an adventure and I thought it would be something that would be educational uh, enriching Mm, scope widening, maybe. Uh, ultimately, I guess the simple way I could answer that is to say that I thought when I'm in my 80s or 90s or however long I last and I'm looking back at the decision to do this or not, am I going to regret not doing it or am I going to regret doing it? And my thinking was I'll probably regret the things that I didn't do. So I opted to do it just for the experience. Did it help you working with Morta to be over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, at the time it was, well, at the time I was the only Morta pipe maker in the world. Um, and it was a learning experience because, again, there was no one, there was no handy reference for how to work with the stuff. It was basically a sort of a trial and error kind of thing. And I had to learn fast and learn as I worked. Tell everybody, what exactly is Morta? Fossilized oak. Um, when the right conditions happen and trees, generally, preferably old-growth forests, are toppled for whatever reason, and in the case of the area where we worked, it was a boggy area that was hit with some, some earthquake-type upheaval. Uh, the trees go down, they fall into bog, they sink under soft clay so that they're separated from oxygen and they don't rot. And they stay packed under clay, moist, and over the course of centuries they fossilize in place. And that's essentially what it is. Uh, Morta is a, means bog oak, although actually it's not always oak. Uh, a lot of different kinds of wood get tagged as Morta, even though they're completely different trees. But it's essentially a blanket term that means any kind of wood that has fallen and fossilized. Now, most of what I use was oak. And what in, what inspired you to even start working with it for a pipe? Because you were the first one that really started goofing around with it. Well, I was 
wasn't the first mortar pipe maker. I was the third mortar pipe maker. Um, the first fellow, I don't know anything about him other than that his name was Martel and that he worked in the French Briere um, in the 1970s and probably before that. Um, he sold his business to Patrice Sabilo, who was the French mortar pipe maker prior to me. And he, again, worked there in the Briere. Um, he had a little shop there in the town that we moved to, and he sold strictly via his retail shop. Uh, and he was the only mortar pipe maker for quite a long time. Um, but he was very old school. He was very retail sales, retail shop sort of thing, and didn't, didn't do the Internet. Um, when he reached the point that he was going to retire, we purchased his business, home, workshop, stock, and everything. And that was the point at which I began making mortar pipes to sell worldwide via the website and really started putting a lot of energy into making them known as a global thing rather than just as this local local shop odyssey. We're going to take a break right here so that you can run out and scare a kid real quick. When we come back, we'll talk more about Morta, Halloween pipes, and a whole lot more. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We are back. I hope none of you got scared off. But uh, Trevor, talk to me about Morta. What exactly? I mean, what exactly does it do to pipe? to pipe tobacco what's the difference between it and briar how hard is it to work with give us all the rundown okay um it's fun stuff it's very odd uh it has a personality it is an acquired taste um someone once told me that when you had a mortar pipe you doubled your tobacco collection and i thought that was a very accurate statement it is darker in character it is muskier it is a stronger kind of flavor there are some tobaccos that it absolutely loves and there are some tobaccos that it is terrible with uh it's not as neutral as briar in terms of being able to sort of throw anything at it uh if you have a tobacco that likes morta 
then you will have a wonderful experience. And if you have a tobacco that Morta does not like, you will not have fun. Um, as far as people are always asking me, is it better than Briar? Is you know, is it is it is it better than Briar? And if it's not better than Briar, why are you why do you make pipes out of it? And my statement, my my own perspective is that I like variety. Um, if I have any theme to the pipes in my own collection, it is that I like to have a little bit of something different, uh, and I like to have a lot of different experiences to compare and contrast between each other. I'm looking around my study right now, and I've got a variety of clays. I've got a variety of briars. I've got filtered and unfiltered pipes. Um, I'm personally prone, prone to fond of 9mm filter pipes, and I know that's blasphemous to American makers, but I'm actually quite fond of them for myself. I don't make them generally. I, I may um, bleep that part out just completely. But boy. keep going. Blasphemy, 9mm filters, how dare you? <laughs> uh, I started smoking 9mm filter pipes in Europe, and I found that I enjoyed them. Uh, I found that there were a lot of tobaccos that I could not smoke in unfiltered pipes that I found wonderful in filter pipes. And the first time I had an aha moment was when I was trying some sort of really, really sugary Danish aromatic. Uh, it was the kind of thing that if I put it into an unfiltered pipe, it would burn my tongue down to a center and just almost be unsmokable. And I put it in a 9mm charcoal filter pipe, and it was delicious. It was smooth. It was cool. It was nice and tasteful. And I stopped and thought, damn, I wonder how many of these really sugary pipe tobaccos would be actually okay if they were taken through a filter pipe. And, gee, filter pipes are incredibly popular in Europe where these very sugary aromatic tobaccos are made. I wonder if there's a connection here. And suddenly began to realize that um, it's not so much a case of one particular kind of pipe being better than another one is just they give you different experiences with different tobaccos. Uh, I've also got a lot of mirrors. Um, I've got, I just got my first Kirsten a couple of years ago and I'm fond of it, although it's a pain in the ass to clean, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm not really, I'm not welded to any particular kind of pipe specifically. I like to have a wide variety, and I like their different characteristics, and I try and appreciate them based on their different characteristics rather than trying to rank them in terms of this is better than this is better than this. Let's, let me ask you this. For somebody that has smoked a, smoked a Meerschaum but never smoked a Morta, is, the, is Morta closer in smoking style than, to Meerschaum than, than Briar? such a weird question. I have heard that so often. Uh, people say Morta is like Meerschaum, and I don't think so at all. Um, I think it's so it's got so much more flavor. Uh, Meerschaum to me is really, really, really neutral. It's, it's virtually not there. And Morta, by contrast, has a tremendous amount of personality of its own. Uh, it takes a fairly strong tobacco to stand up to Morta. So I, I don't think so. But I have had some Morta, um, some Morta pipes that I have smoked that were pretty neutral in their behavior. So I think, like anything else, it's going to vary depending on the individual material as much as anything. And it sounds like it's also going to vary on the individual tobacco as well. 
Uh, strong Latakia tobaccos are heavenly and more to, but light aromatics and things like that are terrible. They just dodge them. If the tobacco wasn't black, it's not really going to go well in a Morta, basically. Now, since you started doing Mortas, you were you really moved when you when you got to France, you really got right next to the bog, and were able to get some yeah. great pieces. But since then, there's mm-hmm. been a uh, uprising of other pipe makers using Morta. Yeah, it started slowly becoming accepted as a material. It's hell trying to convince the pipe market that something new is actually okay. Um, and there was a number of years of just answering the same questions over and over. Yes, you can smoke this. Yes, it's, it's good quality and so on. Um, but once it started to become accepted, it, it more people started working with it, and there was a lot more willingness to buy it. Um, so it's it's become a, a miniature industry of its own now. Is there different grades of Morta? Because you said... Is there different kinds of woods that can be used in Morta? Yeah, very much. Um, there are a lot of different suppliers uh, providing Morta scattered around around the world now, um, providing different, very different grades and levels of quality of the Morta that's available. I'm I'm kind of spoiled to the stuff that we worked with because it was so black. And I've tried Morta from a couple of other suppliers and have not yet found anything that I really like. Is there a way we as the pipe-buying public can tell what the better pieces are? Uh, You're going to hate this answer, but really no. Um, And the reason that I'll say that is this. The stuff that I've worked with and my my personal experience with the Morta from the Briere is that if it wasn't black, it wasn't going to be a, an enjoyable experience. Uh, and generally, the blacker and the more evenly black it was through, the better it smoked. Now, I have since tried the golden and the, the blonde colors of Morta from other commercial suppliers in other locations, and I have found it to smoke well, I've got one here in my hand right now that I smoked last night. Um, It's very good smoking, but it's softer and more fragile than what I like and what I would sell myself. I've got some blocks here that are blonde that I've made some test pipes out of and decided not to to market them because I found that they were too prone to burning under abuse. I specifically would smoke smoke them to abuse levels to see how they held up, and they didn't hold up as well as I liked. Um, but I really, really want to stress that I do not say this to impact the sales or the quality of other pipe makers who are offering blonde Morta because I don't know where they get it from. And it's entirely possible that they may have just as good quality in other shadings and other color ranges than I've got with the black stuff that I worked with. Um, the Who's the Eastern European fellow, Daver and something? Daver and something. He does tons of Morta, and he does some really nice work. Uh, he gets his from a local supplier that's not far from where he lives, from what I understand, and has had a lot of, a lot of chance to pilfer through the stock and compare the different grades, and he swears by the blonde Morta that he works with. And uh, I've never tried one of his pipes, so I don't know what 
think of it myself, but I'm perfectly willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, that's why I'm hesitant to say you should only buy black mortar pipes because I, I know that a lot of people would probably hear that and go, ah, everything else is bad, and it's not necessarily. It's just it's down to the individual piece of wood, how long it has been fossilizing, how tough it was to begin with, and how well it's been dried. And how well the smoker enjoys it. And how well the smoker enjoys it, and also pot luck, unfortunately. In some cases, it's just like briar, which is to say you may have a wonderful-looking block, and it smokes like crap, and you may have a terrible-looking block, and it smokes wonderfully. Now, we'll move forward, because I want to get into some of your own, some of your other pipes. You do some, uh, you do some great handmaids and variations on traditional shapes. You have the, you have the linea line where you do the more traditional shape pipes but specifically for today you have done some incredible sculptural pipes specifically for halloween <laughs> that's what i'm known for where where did the love affair with halloween and uh and i guess all the the horror movies and where did that begin uh, you have to rewind back to sometime in the mid-70s when there was a very young Trevor who had his first taste of independence because, for whatever reason, he was a kid who liked staying up late at night and was born to parents who liked to go to bed at 9 o'clock and get up at 5 a.m. <laughs> uh, my parents would go off to bed, leave me up sitting in the living room, putting together model kits of the Frankenstein monster and the Wolfman, and watching the late-night monster show. And that became my, wow, I'm all by myself. I have peace, quiet, and monsters. And I think I developed a love of fantasy and horror at a very young age by the, in that way. And that's basically rolled right on forward to the rest of my life. Yeah, really not much going on at night in Welcome, North Carolina, is there? No, no, other than sitting up and watching the, the crazy late-night movies with the late-night horror host, that was about it. About it. And I mean, even your, your art that you do is just wonderful, scary stuff, and some of it's got a sense of humor to it, too. I try, yeah. It's uh, probably a lot of my personality comes through, I guess. But it's, I don't know, I just gravitate towards horror. It's the way I've always been. When did the Halloween pipes start? Halloween pipes started in the year 2000. I was very frustrated with making standard shapes. I had been full-time in the business for a little while, and one of the, the, one of the main problems and the main issues, I guess, of working as a pipe maker is that you kind of have to develop your grocery money pipes. Uh, you'll be making a lot of billiards and a lot of bulldogs because you can depend on them to reliably sell and reliably be popular, and there will always be someone to buy them and provide you with the money that you need to go get groceries this week. But it's not – it gets very dull after a while. I don't – want to say I don't want to give the impression that I don't enjoy making classical shapes because I do 
but after you've made your hundredth billiard, it pretty much becomes the kind of thing that you can sort of do automatically. It doesn't require a tremendous amount of investment in terms of attention and specifically imagination. And I began to balk in around 2000 at the amount of repetition in the work that I was doing and feeling as if I was making the same things over and over and not really producing anything of how to put it exactly. I wasn't making anything that I didn't see someone else making. That's the simplest way I can say it. And I wanted to do something that was different than what I saw available in the pipe shop and in the the few online sources that were available at the time. And I sat down and thought, okay, right, what do I like? What do I want to do? Um, and, of course, the obvious answer was I like surreal art. I like dark fantasy. I love Halloween. I love horror influences. How can I wrap this up into a pipe form? Is there some way that I can sit down and put my love of these things into this fairly limited and very controlled and well-bordered environment of making a pipe so that I can make something that is very, very, very much me as opposed to something that anybody who had a lot of technical skill could walk in and do the same thing. And that's how the Halloween pipes were born. Does each Halloween pipe come from a... Is it inspired by a sketch that you do? Generally, yeah. Um, I've got a lot of sketches. In fact, the one that I just sold... I shipped off the pipe and its bag and three pages worth of sketches, design sketches that started with something that looked nothing at all like the pipe that I eventually made. And you can literally follow it down each page as the idea evolves and develops and gradually gets changed according to what works and what doesn't work. I just recently posted this this process on our pipe blog. The latest article as of right now, I guess, is is the story, and I put a lot of these scans on there so that the readers could actually follow what it's like to start off with an idea and then find out that it doesn't work (laughs) and then adjust it and find out that that doesn't work and keep fiddling with it and realizing that this isn't going to work either and this isn't going to work either and working it until you have something that actually will work and looks good. How many hours go into a Halloween pipe? Oh, Lord. Way too many. Um... I can't even tell you. I can tell you in terms of month time and the the longest one that I can think of doing was about three weeks, maybe three and a half weeks of labor time. And generally I spend at least, I can usually count on spending at least a week working on one, if not considerably more time. A lot of you in each one of those pipes. Very much so. And they really... Um, they were a challenge from an economic perspective, and I know that means I'm instantly going to get really damn boring, but trying to work on something that is going to take three weeks of my time and might or might not sell, I have no idea. And any time you put something out there for a large-scale price that's really unusual, you're taking a gigantic risk. And in the meantime, I've got groceries to buy and power bills to pay. That made the Halloween pipes very difficult to balance with my working time for a long time. And really, it wasn't until we um, started producing the Linear Britannia pipes that it sort of evened out 
because I can sell those fairly quickly and make them fairly quickly, and they keep cash flow coming and enable me to sort of sit back and work on the things that I really like to work on and still know that I can turn out you know, five or six affordable pipes that will sell quickly and provide me with the money to eat. Have you ever gotten into one of the blocks and you're working on the on it for the Halloween pipe and then all of a sudden something completely goes wrong with the block and you got to start over again? Oh, yeah. That's why they're terrifying. <laughs> and I can tell you that one of the most horrible, the most difficult times is in the second half of the second or third week of working on a complicated Halloween pipe because there's so much time invested in it. And it's still not done, and you could come across some kind of horrible crippling flaw at any moment that would totally derail the whole process. It, it's attention, it's the experience intention. I'll put it that way. <laughs> let's let let's move away from all that scary stuff, and I want to let everybody know that the website is Talbert Pipes, T A L B E R T Pipes. And you've also got a gallery up there. It's actually a gorgeous website. When you, Thank you. I made it. <laughs> I kind of figured that. Um, when you moved to France, you mentioned that you took over his business. Did you also uh, did you sell pipes out of the front of the store in France? Yes, uh, briefly for about, I guess, the first two years we were there. We had a retail shop that was attached to the workshop, and... We ran it as a retail shop, and it simply was too overwhelming um, to try and be making pipes all day while running back and forth to a retail store to talk to customers and people visiting in and handle retail sales and handle the website all by myself, or just me and my wife. It was just too much to do. Any fun stories about uh, selling retail in France? Plenty of fun stories about selling retail in France. It was an adventure. One of the ridiculous side effects of it is that my French is extremely specific. I can have a fairly detailed conversation about pipes and pipe terminology, but if you ask me about food or driving a car or road signs, I'm lost. <laughs> uh, I have a ridiculously limited bilingual vocabulary. But anyway, uh, we got a lot of odd visitors in the French shop. We had people from all over Europe. It was a, an inter, inter-European Union hotspot as far as vacations went in the area that we were in. And probably you mentioned that you were from California. Um, yeah. The most ridiculous visitor that we had was one day the shop doorbell rang, and I went and at the time the, the shop was closed, I opened the door and found myself in this tiny village in France looking at a brand-new Chevrolet Corvette parked by the door with a fellow standing in the doorway wearing flip-flops, uh, blue jeans. No, wait, it was, it was dress pants. No shirt, a suit jacket, tanned from head to foot, multiple gold necklaces, <laughs> and he looked at me and said, Hi, are you the American? And I said, Possibly. And he said, Whoa, 
Man, you'd never guess. I'm from California, dude. And I was just like, okay, right. Slam the door now. (laughs) (laughs) Such a proud moment for my home state of California that we're the strangest customer you ever had in a retail store in France. Uh, yeah, it was like being visited by by Sean Penn from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> Dude, totally. All right, so, exactly. So now, yeah. now I'm going to turn it on you. Who's the mm. most? Who's the more talented artist in your family? You or your wife? That's a very difficult question to answer. Um, and while my wife will probably hate me, I'm prone to say me, but with some serious caveats. We have very, very different styles of approaching anything, any sort of artistic work. Uh, Our working styles are so ridiculous that they're comical because I will pick up a block of briar and I will say, oh, it looks like it could have sort of this shape. And then I will go straight to the working machine and start carving it and shaping it. And as the grain changes, I will change the shape. I stay very loose and very unfocused and work to see what sort of thing I can get out of this. And my wife will sit down and essentially pull out the graph paper and draw a complete diagram of the pipe, wall thicknesses, exact measurements of everything that she wants on into the pipe. And then she will take scissors and cut out her diagrams and glue them to the side of the briar block and use them as operating measurements for cutting, slicing, and shaping until she gets exactly the piece that she wants. And she can produce some wonderfully beautiful uh, classical shapes and that sort of work. Uh, She's fantastic at that. And if you tell her, go and do something wild and funky and creative, she gets this dough-in-the-headlights look. Whereas if you tell me, here, we need to make this to these exact measurements and it needs to be like this and this and this, then my reaction is, oh, my God, no, get away from me. (laughs) Uh, Because I don't do that well. It's something that comes up a lot in commission work because people will write me and say, can I commission you to do such and such a pipe? And I'm like, well, maybe, but I don't really work well with that kind of thing. And then they send me a diagram or a CAD sheet showing exactly what they want down to the the millimeters of measurements and that's the point at which i go no i this is not something that i can do if i try and take this project on both of us will hate each other and it will not be a happy experience go talk to someone else you may be the inspiration for next year's halloween pipe as i think of what i want to do (laughs) but anyway what now, as far as the question of which of us is the better artist, that's why I can't really answer it, because I think there are two entirely different types of artistry, and I think she's much better than me at doing things that are very precise and skilled, and I think I'm better than she is at doing stuff that's creative, off-the-wall, and unusual. And by virtue of these two things, we managed to balance each other out pretty nicely. Well, with that, we'll wrap this up with what's, I'm sure, going to bother you, because these are five very fast, very precise questions. It's the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer, whatever you want to answer. Are you ready? All right. What's your favorite pipe? 
I do not have a favorite pipe. My favorite pipe is whatever I'm smoking that I have perfectly matched to the tobacco that I'm smoking at the time, which I've picked out based on the specific beer that I'm drinking, which I've chosen based on what kind of movie I'm watching. That is the and longest, yes, best answer. I really answer. am that insane. But <laughs> That's the longest, best answer. So now you get to answer it again from a different side. What's your favorite tobacco? Uh, that's a little easier. Either 1792 or uh, Goweth Black XX Rope. I love that stuff. And, I can smoke it all day long. And what's your favorite drink? Beer. Easily. Don't ask me for specifics. What? <laughs> Relaxation time? Is it a book, a movie, or music? Uh, used to be books, more movies these days, and usually horror. And do you have one specific favorite pipe-related memory? Yeah, sitting on the dock carving my first pipe. With that, we'll wrap it up again. The website is uh, is Talbert Pipes. Lots of stuff on there besides pipes. There's pens and all kinds of... Uh, it's really a pretty website, so check it out. Trevor, thank you for uh, taking time away from your Halloween with us. And uh, now you can go back to scaring somebody. Thank you very much. I'll do just that. We'll Talk be back. Later. We'll be back in just a minute. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's cupojoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to cupojoes.com, and there it is, cupojoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back on a chilly Halloween night. Uh, listen, to find out when Trevor's got new stuff available, go to Talbert Pipes and sign up for their email list. That's the best and fastest way to find out when stuff's available and catch it before somebody else grabs it. All right, for music, Pipe Smoker, Johann Sebastian Bach. Perfect piece for this time of the year. Uh Slightly altered for Halloween, but this is uh, the Takata and Fugue in D minor.
You got mail. You got mail. I'm about ready to get out of this costume and get this makeup off, so let me get through this pretty quick. Uh, there's a thread on the forums talking about prominent women pipe smokers. I've reached out to a couple of ladies and invited them to come on the show. If you are a female listener pipe smoker of the show and you want to be on the show, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. I would love to get some ladies and get their perspectives on the uh, on pipe smoking and hear about their uh, background. I also want to say that uh, last week's show with Jack, it was interesting for me because it was uh, completely out of my wheelhouse of questions to ask, and it was kind of fun. I felt a little unprepared or felt like I didn't ask the best questions possible, but after listening to it back again, it was uh, it was a fun and unique perspective, and uh Jack's really, uh, I think he's faster on his feet than I am in front of a microphone. And one last thing, I'm going to paraphrase a comment that I received about the latest Mark Ryan interview. And I'm paraphrasing it because I can't find it somewhere in this mess here. But essentially what it said is that uh, the listener could listen to Mark Ryan interviews forever. Mark really is truly a genuine guy and a pleasure to sit and hang out with. And I'll get to see him uh, tomorrow night in Vegas. So, all right, relax. Rant time's next. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical. A tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. take this time to gripe to you about the standard i think this one's everybody's complaint but yet retailers keep doing it and doing it and i was reminded of it today as i went shopping to go pick up one last little thing for my costume but walmart was taking out all the halloween stuff and moving it into a discount rack as i was standing there and there was pallets full of christmas stuff moving in it's October 31st, and they're already moving in the Christmas stuff. Now, here's what happens with us. We live in a neighborhood, and we're only allowed to decorate 30 days before the holiday, so I really don't start thinking about decorating until maybe Thanksgiving weekend. But all the good stuff has been bought by then, because all the Christmas stuff has been on the shelf since the end of October. 
we've fast forwarded all these holidays now to the point where if you don't go Valentine's shopping for stuff in January, you get the leftovers and the picked overs the week before thing the week before Valentine's Day. If you don't go shopping early for your stuff for Christmas, you don't have anything to pick out for decorations. Happened to us last year. We ended up getting uh, shorted on some lights that I needed for the house. And why? Because I waited until December 1st or December 5th to start looking for Christmas decorations. Stores, would you please... Christmas doesn't need to go out until maybe the Monday before Thanksgiving... You don't need to start rolling stuff out and getting rid of it as quick as possible. Pretty much a standard rant. I'm sure many of you feel the same, but I figured I'd use this time and had the reminder today while shopping, so there it is. Alright, please keep those comments coming. Keep those ideas coming. Got an idea for a segment? Let me know. Let me know. Post them on the forums. Email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. I do look at all the comments, keep track of them. If you haven't had a chance, would appreciate you posting a comment or feedback for us on iTunes. That does help the show get discovered. show's been uh, doing well on iTunes, and I'm glad a lot of you are listening to it there. But please keep those comments posted and all that going. Remember, Stories of the Magic podcast if you want to hear more about me. Next week, I'll uh, tell you all about the West Coast Pipe Show. want to say thank you to Trevor for taking time out from his Halloween night to join us on the show. And I'm going to wrap this up, go uh, nibble on some candy, and start packing for my flight tomorrow. So, thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny Sound effects in tonight's show performed by many of Kevin Godby's dates.